I'm Pastor Troy here on the dock here. We're glad to have you back with us again. We're ready to get going here. We're on the dock and we're all about conversations to propel your faith out of the shallows and into the deep. Come join us. We're going to get you out there. It's going to be a good day today. We've got some great guests in the studio here and we're going to get ready to go. Let me get you online. We're at on the dock. You can find us at YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. You can also go find us on these other platforms. We want to get there too. Google Podcasts, Facebook, Roku, Rumble, and SermonNet. And you can always comment and chat with us and dialogue with us at Facebook, Instagram, Telegram, or Twitter. We'd love to have you there. And when you get to those platforms, please go find them all and subscribe, hit like, share, and have other people find out about what you're doing. Send us some comments. We'd love to hear from you on that. You can also become a Patreon partner. Go to Patreon, become a partner of On The Dock. You can also find us to become a Patreon partner by going to our website, onthedock.org, onthedock.org. And you can also email us if you've got questions, can't find things, info at onthedock.org. O-R-G. So that is great. We are going to be here today talking about an incredible topic. We're going to be doing many shows on this topic, and this is the first in those series. We're going to be doing Pastoring in 2020 and Beyond series, and we'll be looking at pastoral trends in this segment and changes as a result of COVID-19. In the studio, I have Pastor Shane Bishop, Pastor at Christ Church. Welcome to On the Dock, Pastor Shane. Thanks, Troy. Glad to be here. All right. Glad to hear you. We're not hearing him. It's Mike there. Did you hear that? Yeah. Uh, try it again. Uh, try it again, Shane. Thanks, Troy. Glad to be here. There you go. We got you now. And we're excited about that. I got my co-host here, the lovely, handsome, the Reverend Fred Bishop's in studio with me. He's serving as my my, my co-pilot on this trip. You ready to go, Fred? I'm ready. Ready to go here. Fantastic. Lift off. We're, lift off. Let's go get it. On the, uh, Shane, Shane here, who are, who's our guest today, then one of my, he is my spiritual elder brother. Um, Shane helped and led me to Christ and discipled me in Christ. And uh, I'm the... I'm the oldest in my birth family, and so I'm used to being the oldest, but in the family of God, Shane's my big brother, and I really appreciate that. He and Melissa are priceless to me. Uh, They are beyond priceless to me. Not only uh, did they they lead me to Christ, but Melissa monkeyed around and got me married, Mm -hmm. and so she grew up as best friends, childhood friends with my my wife, Beth, and they just meant a world to me. So first of all, Shane, let me ask a question here. How are things going on with you and Melissa along with your whole entire tribe? Everybody's well. Everybody's well. We, we sort of checked out of suburbia uh, right before COVID hit. We bought a cabin out in the uh, extremely rural areas. In fact, if you were at my cabin, Troy, and waiting for cars to come by, unless you called Amazon, you would never see one. Oh, my. We're at the end of a dead end. We are. Uh, you can't see us from anywhere unless you're in a helicopter directly over so we really have checked out. Uh, Melissa recently retired from a career of, of work in church, and so uh, we're kind of shifting to a new reality. Kids are close. we got four grandkids. Give us plenty to do, but we are well. Oh, excellent. And, and tell us a little bit about your church, Christ Church. You've been there a long time. What's going on there in the life of Christ Church today? Well, I've been there 24 years. That will uh, sort of be a, a defining piece for me. Never in a million years do you think as a pastor that you'll be somewhere 24 <laughs> wow, it's amazing. years. So the, the church is great. It's in Fairview Heights, Illinois. Uh, I arrived in 1997. The church had recently re- relocated. And over the years, we've just seen exponential growth. We've seen uh, 
thousands of people connected with Jesus Christ, Amen. and it's been an absolute joy to be the leader of that congregation. Fantastic. Shane and I were ordained as elders together. We shouldn't have been. Uh, when, when, when Shane was going to be ordained quite ahead of me, matter of fact, I followed him to seminary. We pastored the same churches. He got me a gig in the church he was leaving, and uh, I got out of seminary, and just due to some circumstances of Shane not willing to buckle knees or anything like he, you know, he took it on straight. Shane's always never compromised on his values, and so I got back, and he still wasn't ordained, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know but we ended up getting ordained together, and, and what's funny about it is Shane's ahead of me on all this, and Bennett Tone becomes before Bishop, so I actually beat him on that, <laughs> and that was a weird deal, Shane, you know, uh, but it, it's a it's been a privilege to serve with you all these years, but more than that, just to be a big brother to me, I really appreciate that, but the, the Lord, I think the Lord deferred you to save the life of another ordinary. I was thinking about this, and this is the reason you had that moment. I know you got all kinds of other reasons why it was good, but I decided that the Lord saved you to save the life of Stephen King. You're going to not remember that. Maybe you'll remember this. We were at the ordinary retreat, getting close to ordination, and Stephen King, I was at Highland Hope there doing the work at Highland, and Stephen came out telling me how grateful I should be to lick his boots beside his car. <laughs> he was telling me that I should lick his boots and be thankful because he saw he was on the committee of the conference that wrote paychecks to the missionaries doing church planning work, and I should be grateful that he makes sure that I get a check. Me and Beth, I'll be thankful. We were a little frustrated about a couple of things not happening, and I should be thankful that he pays me and my wife to sacrifice thousands and countless of hours to plant the church we were doing in Highland Hope. Matter of fact, Lucas is here in studio. He's our executive director. I saw uh, Carolyn Winkler, his mom here. They were the first families that helped us start that. And Stephen King was just telling me how I should just kiss his boots. And I'd had about the third round of that. We were walking out to the cars, and Stephen said it one more time in his condescending tone, and I pressed him by his shirt up against his car. I took my arm back, and then Shane stepped in between the two of us. (laughs) It kept me from hitting him, and that probably would have turned out bad, and we would not be on the dock here together (laughs) today. Well, you never know how the Lord works in mysterious ways. He does, and sometimes he has to take you into the mouth of the belly of a well just to save Troy. Well, I I want to tell you I'm sorry about that, but you did save me that day. You're welcome. And Stephen King. If that's what you're getting at, you're welcome. Yeah, I appreciate you. Shane and I go further back than that, actually. We go way back to Heron. And and when I moved from college to settle in Heron and start my life beyond university uh, in Heron, Illinois, it's a pretty sad, lowly place in those days. Everything closed at 9. There was nothing fun to do. I was a fraternity guy, just doing all kinds of things. I'd run For a long time, I'd run back and forth. I'd play, play ball and run back and forth and that. And then Shane and Melissa got connected with me. He got me, taught me out playing softball with him. And so it made it harder for me to run back and forth and, and to play softball. He suckered us. We had to listen to a devotion first. You had to listen to him talk about Christ and commitment to Christ. And during that process, I, I learned a lot about Christ and I'd had an encounter when I was younger in church camp and it kind of reignited those moments. And it, it just set me on a commitment to Christ. And it, and, and later on very quickly after that, he introduced me to his father, uh, my father in the Lord and his dad, Fred Bishop with no greater love ministries, who's sitting right here at the table with us. And, uh, and it opened up to me a whole new life paradigm. So Melissa, his wife, connected me with Beth, as I told you, and ultimately was in that new paradigm that I heard my call into ministry. So I am just honored to have you here. And this is a great picture. I don't know if you remember this picture. It's a picture from us. That church in Highland, because I didn't hit Stephen King, I was able to actually charter a church. And, and, and my first dream was to plant a church. And, and Shane got to be there with me that day that we chartered that, along with a couple other people there. And, and they, they would have been the ones that had to kick me out. So thankfully, they didn't have to do that. 
that, and we've gone on to bigger and better things. Um, I've also told you, you know, I told you a story when, when Shane was here with Fred in the Mentor Series that I kept him awake through Israel one year until we, there's us at Mount Nebo with Fred and I. It's one of my top favorite pictures of all time. And in that picture, it tells good things, but I'm actually, even though I'm smiling, I got PTSD from Shane hitting me with a pillow the night before because I snore. And he decided if he couldn't sleep, I would not sleep. So so I really appreciate that. I appreciate the discipline Shane gives me as well. So that's all the good thing here. <laughs> yeah, so, so let's get into this series right, on the dock here. We, we got a great one for you today. We're looking at pastoring in 2020 and beyond. Shane will be the first of many pastoral leaders that we'll be bringing into you in this region. And we'll be hearing from them to find out what pastors in 2020 and beyond through COVID, beyond COVID, uh, what, what does it mean for the health and the future and the work of the Church of Jesus Christ in our region? So I hope through our on-the-dot conversations with all these pastors that we're working with that we can get a better look. I hope you can listen. We can sit down on the dock a little bit, have some conversation, try to get an understanding what is going on in the nature and the life of the church right now. And and, and, and I hope it'll better propel and challenge us to get our get, get our straps up here and, and get out there and serve the church as we leave the shallows and we get into the future. So I can't think of anyone better to help lead us out of the shallows than, than Pastor Shane Bishop. He is a great leader of the church. And uh, Shane, I wanted to start with this. I, I want to get into this. You wrote a blog on April 6, 2021. A great blog. I'm going to link you up to that blog site in just a little while. Just stay with us on the doc. We'll get you there. But he wrote a blog entitled A Dozen Things I Am Seeing I Am Seeing in Churches Post-Resurrection 2021 as Our Base. So Shane, what led you to write that blog, first of all? I touched base with uh, pastors all around the country. I had some hypotheses on what is the church is going to look like coming out of 2020 and 2021 and coming out of the pandemic. And one of the things that I heard a lot of pastors say early is I can't wait to get back to normal. And, and one of the things that struck me is the vast majority of American churches were in precipitous decline before the pandemic. Why would anybody want to get back to that? <laughs> I mean, seriously, yeah. why would anybody want to get back to that? So I began to think about uh, how could the pandemic be another example of Satan overplaying his hand? How could what maybe Satan meant to destroy the church? Can you, could you have imagined before 2020 any set of circumstances that would result in corporate worship at most churches around the world to be put offline for months and months and months, and some closed as long as a year. I mean, live worship did not happen for a long time. I'm thinking Satan thought he won the day, and I'm guessing on Easter Sunday, 2020, when churches were not in session, Satan had to think he had this whole thing won. And so I begin to think, you know what? How can we leverage this into something positive? So I thought the first thing I need to do is gather data. So I have pastor friends all over the country and in various sorts of tribes, and I just begin to call them and say, what is happening right now in your church on this side of COVID? Came up with some trends, and that's what I wanted to share. Excellent, excellent there. I, I like that idea that the, the, the devil, the Satan sent to destroy kind of the church. It really ends up, I, I think in the end, you know, what didn't make it, honestly, didn't need to make it. And the dross almost got filtered out. Not that it wasn't a challenge, but for, for so many churches, some I mean, around here in Southern Illinois, things are a little tougher. The churches that disappear and are totally gone, 
you, honestly, they were gone before it hit. This just finished that off. We had the funeral. The churches that don't really have a meaningful ministry, they're trying to recover now, their people aren't coming back to it. But they are going back to church. They're looking to where needs were met and all those things. Let's look at your list here. I, I'm just going to throw these up here. It came from your blog. We'll get people to your blog site here soon. But just... I just want to hear what's more behind this. I didn't get your behind the stuff here. I got your baseline. But you said 12 things I'm seeing. The first of those was most churches had unexpectedly strong Easter weekends. Elaborate on that. A lot of pastors were pretty pessimistic as to what they would see on Easter. A lot of people weren't getting out yet. And it appeared to me that Easter was a bit of a catalyst for people getting out. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were just kind of waiting for a, a point at which to say, okay, I'm going to get out now. For a lot of people, that became Easter. And I thought as I looked around the country, as I listened to pastors, most churches had better Easter's than they figured they would in terms of live attendance. And I consider that to be a, a very positive thing. That's excellent. Excellent. Uh, you said on number two here, churches who openly ho- opened early are reaping rewards. So tell me about that. How does that play in? Well, it's kind of interesting. I first saw it with restaurants. When all the restaurants were all closed, there were a few restaurants that just stayed open. Mm -hmm. Those restaurants were always full. Uh, There were a certain group of people that were going to reward that type of of courage or whatever it was. But people were going to reward it. People leaned into that. As I've talked to pastors on this side of COVID, the churches that opened earlier simply are doing better. The churches that waited until late to open uh, are doing much worse. And so the reward went to churches that had the courage to go ahead and open. Now, I don't mean that in a, uh, in a way that was careless. Churches with mitigations and all of those things. But if you got opened in May, June, or July of last year, you're probably doing a whole lot better than if you didn't open until 2021. Do you factor in as well into that the the churches are able to swing to a virtual campus or at least offer something valuable, even, even when they were shut down? There were many churches around here that didn't come with any services. They couldn't find the equipment. They didn't know how. But the churches that were able to put a virtual service on, maybe even week one of the shutdown, and stay connected and stay relevant, did you see an advance in that over the others? Yeah, there, there definitely was that. Some churches were obviously better positioned for a pandemic than others. Yeah. At Christ Church, as it all turned out, we were better positioned to deal with a pandemic than we were a denominational crisis. Oh, absolutely. And so because we were already online and because we already had those things going, it was easy to leverage into that. But what I'm really seeing with the churches opening early Let's say your church stayed closed, but you felt in your heart it should have opened a whole lot earlier. You probably didn't just stay worshiping online. You probably started visiting other churches that were open. And you may well have found that some of those other churches were to your liking more so Mm -hmm. than the church you went to. And so we began to sense and to see that kind of thing. So as a rule, the earlier you opened, the better you're doing now. Excellent, excellent. You know who, what restaurant did so well in this was Sonic. Sonic thrived. Yeah, they had a business they model. McDonald's thrived sure. in this. You could see that so much there. Okay, third one was pastors and church staff are tired. You're talking about after the fact, just a general feeling. Tell me about that. Well, you think about this. All of a sudden, we couldn't do the number one thing churches have been doing for two millennia, holding worship services. Yeah. 
Our number one evangelistic tool is taken from us. And all of a sudden, we're scampering. So if you have a mega church, you probably had a dedicated staff that could just jump on things and, and focus. But if you've got a medium-sized church or a small church, all of a sudden, every single person you have on staff is doing something they're not trying to do. It's trial and error, trying to get up online. Uh, people are having to assume multiple roles. The children's workers in a lot of churches, it was kind of like, what are we supposed to be doing? Churches are saying, are we going to be able to afford to keep them on staff because nobody is actually at the church? And all of a sudden, everything shifted. This went on and on and on and on. And when COVID began to lift and I began to talk to pastors, how you doing? Tired. A lot of church staff, a lot of pastors, a lot of tech people, a lot of worship directors simply did not get a vacation at any point during the pandemic because when the ship's going down, you can't really say, I'm going to fly out to Tahiti and take a break. Yeah, exactly. So we got a lot of tired people that didn't get a vacation last yeah, year. Yeah, I, I, Lucas will tell you back here. Lucas is our executive uh, director here. He's on the camera work right now. But Lucas was probably the most valuable person in this church when we shut down because we made a decision. I mean, I thought I was going to be fired, but we, we did a flat view worship service we had one camera in the back kind of the goal was you know if somebody's gone they could kind of track the service watch it, it was okay there was no it was it was not designed to keep them interested it was trying to excite to keep them at least knowing they had a church but not to drive them we we when, when the announcement came down they were going to shut this thing down in two days you know three days about seven days ahead i got noticed because of the heron house of hope and my work with them in, in in the esda community here i was a part of that and they said they're going to shut down i talked to a couple of pastors oh no they're not going to shut us down i thought oh yeah they are so i remember going in my office at the house and i heard the lord say get everything you need and so i proceeded without talking to lucas who's our creative arts person he does all this stuff i, I got a good knowledge of this stuff i proceeded to order things when lucas ran across me i said we have thousands of dollars of stuff coming in the mail i just ordered cameras and and and, and switchers and everything we needed and they're all going to be here because we're going to need them to broadcast on sunday and we weren't shut down yet i had an elders meeting on thursday night of that week and i had to go explain to the elders how i had spent about three times what my allowance would be to spend without talking to anybody but i just decided if you're not meeting you're done i've been through that i'm not going to make that decision i'm a shepherd i'm going to make the decision if i take a beating i take a beating a couple of them looked at me strange and said well has a lot of money for you to spend without talking to us i said hey and the governor while i was in that meeting the governor put out a text you're shut down i said we're looking pretty good now and then we, we began to look real quick at b and h different places with technology and what had had I, when i was looking at it on tuesday it was going like 10 9 8 7 i watched the things run out because leaders were making moves by the time I pulled that up on the screen and showed the elders, you couldn't buy a camera. You couldn't buy a switcher. You, if you were trying to get equipment out, it was done. Had you not led and gone. So between Thursday and, and Sunday, Lucas put us a thing off and we never stopped. We got COVID. We never, I got COVID. Three of us got COVID. We shut the church back down, but the three of us with COVID produced a service because we all had COVID. So it was, it was, it was exhausting. I, I mean, I came out of this and needed a break for the break. So I can see that very hard. I Pastors mean, and church staff need to, to realize they're tired and they need to take some time. When yeah. I was going into COVID, 
I was just preparing to do a nine week sabbatical to recover from already exhaustion. Then I had to, I couldn't, you, you couldn't take a break in no this. No way. You couldn't. And so I, it would have been malpractice to take a break. I'm a year and a half behind on my sabbatical from exhaustion. It was a new game. So I got charged back up. The Lord provided. Sure. But you're right. We're going to have to take care of our staffs and kind of now give them some recovery time. Hey, let's go to the next one here. Very good point. Uh, churches are still all over the place concerning COVID mitigation. All over the place concerning COVID mitigation. What are you seeing now? Well, it's sort of funny because we're this far. There are parts of the country that for all practical purposes are completely reopened. Absolutely. There are other churches that are still aren't meeting live. And there's everything wow. in between. So people are just all over the place. There really is not a lot of standardization. Right now, I would say definitely more and more churches are open. Most churches are not making people wear masks and all those kind of things. But... Uh, it's just all over the place. Even now, it's still all over the place. Well, let, what got my heart good was Crown Brew. Even when they had to be shut down inside, they had a tent outside. So I want to thank Crown Brew. They're one of our sponsors today, and they stuck with it. And as a result, they're doing really well today. They've got loyal followers because people adopted them as a new launch business good. out of COVID, and they've come out of it ball, uh, with just blasting. And so I think churches in the same way, churches that kind of fired through this thing, pastors and staff that paid the price, they, they worked through the mitigation Absolutely. issues and stayed connected, they're going to get a reward now. Well, I remember with the mitigation issues, I remember one thing that just hit me in early July of last year. If I open too soon, half the country is going to criticize me. If I open too late, the other half of the country is going to criticize yeah. me. And if I open on the perfect Sunday, Everyone is going to criticize <laughs> Absolutely. me. Absolutely. So I might as well do what I think's right. That's kind of what I did with the equipment. We ordered the equipment, and 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 if we hadn't, we'd have lost. And leadership just takes those risks and doesn't look back. And you just trust the Lord's leading on that. That's so good. Hey, number five is very interesting. So I I, I have a different feel for that down here, but I want to hear your take on it. Churches are doing better than expected financially. How, tell me about that. That has run consistent throughout the entire pandemic. I, I think there is a a feeling and a realization that people have these days. What you don't support goes away. Yeah. So uh, Beth and I grew up in the same small town. Uh, in a small town, what you don't support goes away. You don't have to go to the movie theater. But when enough people don't go to the movie theater long enough, you don't have a movie theater. That's right. And so churches really get to be the same way. Your favorite restaurant is the same way. And... I think people began to say, church is important to me. Mm -hmm. Now that I get some time to think about it, church is important to me. We're going to lean in. We understand churches are in crises right now. Mm -hmm. We understand the whole game has been changed. But we want to make sure that this church is still here on the other side of that. And I think that is really what propelled the finances. The other thing is a lot of churches had already begun making the transition. In 1950, about 80% of what came into a church came in in cash. In 1980, about 80% came in in checks. Well, we were still kind of at that check to electronic kind of divide. But churches that were primarily electronic, uh, even when they closed down, people's tithes and offerings kept coming in every week. A lot of churches quickly adopted that technology because people simply weren't there to drop a check. Right in the offering plate. And I think churches that adapted there 
Uh, I think that is another reason for it. People understood if they didn't support, it goes away. And churches made it easier for people to get. Now, when you look at this, you're talking to your friends and colleagues and getting this. You're primarily talking to effective leaders, I assume. Some. Some? Yeah. I, 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 I kind of, one of the leaders down in the Minister Alliance, both Marion and Hearing, we, we just had a different experience a little bit. I mean, of the Heron churches, 12 churches support the Heron House of Hope uh, on a regular basis recurring. We all started it. The only check that was coming in uh, right there in the heart of it was ours. Yeah. Mm. I mean, most of them had to cut mission giving to, to maintain other stuff. And some are starting about, some are starting to come back right now. Just, I mean, this month, we're seeing improvement. Many of those churches that went away. Now, nobody's that went away am I surprised about. I, you know, it, it, it was a low priority before. It's a lower priority in a crisis. But the churches that I see right now that we're able to give, the bigger churches, the churches that you'll be hearing from on On the Dock, I saw them doing extraordinary things, really doing well stuff. So I did see a little difference between the churches that were ready to cope with this leadership decision and those that weren't. And there was quite a separation. And then there's a lot in the middle that I think have done better than they thought they would have done. Well, you were already experiencing a shift before the pandemic. And the shift is simply this. In the pandemic, churches didn't receive as much money as they would have had they been open. Right. It's just they were all spending a whole lot less money closed than they would have been spending open. And decent-sized churches got PPPs. I got you. I got and you. And so they had that leverage. So it's not like people were given the same. So you're, you're defining financial better, meaning because the they, didn't ha- they didn't have as much pulled out as it well. Cash flow. I totally agree with that because you all of a sudden you didn't have all the expenditures. Maybe you cut certain things back. But in, in our decision, we cut nobody back. Matter of fact, in, in 2020, we took in 45000 more than we planned for our budget pre-COVID. So we did very well. And this year, we're 15000 ahead of, of, of last year's deal. So we're very appreciative. I think part of that had to do with people knowing that the church was engaged and that they were investing and partnering with something that was floating and getting out in the deep. So, One question we asked people throughout the pandemic was, how can we help you? No, that's good. Do. Uh, do you have a need? Do you have a financial need? Uh, do you need bills help? Mm-hmm. So a lot of churches I saw were basically saying, boy, you need to help us. We took the exact opposite. That's good. And we said, how can we help you? We are here to assist you. Do you need groceries? We'll send people to buy your groceries yep. and bring them to you. And I think that was a pretty powerful statement. And I think churches that got that intrinsically, that if we serve people now, that's where God's calling us to be. I think those churches have done real well. I totally agree I with think that. the totally. churches that said to everybody, we know you're going through a tough time, but man, do we really need the money? Uh, I don't think that is going that hit at all. When House of Hope, uh, when, when, when things shut down, the House of Hope never missed a day. I got an exemption by the government. We stayed open as an emergency feeding shelter. We began to feed. We normally feed at the House of Hope for the last nine years, 34,000 meals a year. Uh, we decided we'd stay open. We not only, not only stayed open, we added Saturdays and doubled our meal capacity. We served last year as a result of COVID 77,000 meals, 90 for the whole entire year. Uh, three times what we normally serve. Uh, the Saturday crew, our crew was so tired during the week working that this church went in and cooked for them on the Saturday to give them a day off. And mm. then we gave them some other relief days here and there. So we know that we're pe- we were taking meals to everybody that needed it. We were taking groceries like that. Um, I know our church, we had a team that just called every family at least once a week to see what they needed. Sure. And I think, I, I agree with you, Shane. I think that was what made us, I don't think people ever felt, felt like they weren't at community, probably not at Christ. They knew there was connection. Maybe they couldn't get in the live church, but they knew their church was there with them in the battle. And I think that made all the difference. We diverted all resources, all energy to connecting with people, to serving the people and to reaching out to them. 
Totally, very good word. Let's go to this number six. Uh, people are continuing to return to live church. It's definitely improved Father's Day. How about you? What do you see? I thought everybody that was going to come back would be back by Easter, and I was wrong. <laughs> Me too. I was just wrong. Uh, people too. are continuing to come back. Even last Sunday, I had people tell me this is my first time back since the pandemic hit. So there are just trigger points all along this continuum. I think the vast majority of people coming back are back, but I think there's still people trickling back, and it just surprises me all day long. It does me too. I think we, we'll come back and hammer down on that one a little bit more later because I've got some real thoughts on that, but I think that's for a little deeper conversation. Uh, it, it, it's, so lots of people have changed churches. This is everything I'm looking at and, and research I'm doing and what I'm talking to pastors about. It seems to me about 25% of the people who were attending church before COVID have either quit church, shifted to almost exclusively online church, or found a new church. Mm. And part of what happened with those churches that opened early, their members who felt their church should have been open, they're in other churches now, and they've been there for a year. They're not coming back. And so I think every church has probably uh, experienced some shift. And one of the things in, in an extremely large church uh, like we are, they've always said in a mega church, about one third of your attendees at any given point are considering changing churches. Oh, right. Wow. <laughs> and and I, I do think that is somewhat true. So I think there were a lot of people who were thinking about changing churches anyway, for any one of a million reasons. COVID sort of accelerated that. And as people came open. So I do think there's been some shuffling of, of the deck. Okay, that's a, that's a really good thought there. O okay, listen to this. Online, you say online audiences have stabilized. Yeah. I thought they would go back down. And we may have had a higher number at the height of being virtually closed. But to be honest with you, we had as many people virtually online Sunday as we had right after we went back. So we've got people that are still connecting. Uh, people who don't come back as often on a Sunday. They, they're more willing to travel and stay connected to us than they were before. They, they see the options as better. I don't always know if that's the best thing, but I also know that we have people from Wisconsin, Thailand, China, sure. Liberia online Sunday. We have people from Michigan online that we've connected with. People that we used to pastor that their churches shut down somewhere else connected with us. We're trying to get them back in their own churches, but at the same time, it seems like there's a large group of people that have just become comfortable being online or virtual audience. Yeah, let me tell you what's the uh, worst use of time in the whole world, trying to get people to do anything. Right. People are going to do what they want, and they're going to go where they're fed, and they're going to go where their sensibilities take them. So in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic, when churches weren't meeting live, there was a massive spike in the amount of people watching online. And the inference would be that once people get back to live church, those numbers would go back. That has not been the case. No, that's not been the case. They have stabilized somewhere between the peak mm -hmm. and what they were before the pandemic. That's right. But the upside of this pandemic is I truly believe that we have a whole lot more people connected to church than we did before. It may be some hybrids like you're talking about right. who come some and watch some, but I do think at the end of the day, more people are connected 
with the church. Again, it gets to Satan overplaying his hand. I, I totally agree with that. I had one of our leaders in our last elders meeting said, you know, now that we're back, are we going to shut down our virtual campus? I said, we can never shut down our virtual campus. Mm-hmm. You can't do yeah. it. You can't do it. One church locally has said they shut theirs down because they want to force people to come back. I said, mm. they're going to end up on our virtual campus. <laughs> well, that's exactly You know right. what I mean? And mm-hmm. we're not, I, I don't re- see a reason to shut down because I've connected with other people that, that have needed this and it's still valuable in what we've learned. I think it's one of those things that will hybridize out and I do believe our product and what we call people, people will get back live. They'll get more involved. But I, I don't think people are going to go back to the way, way it was. Well, Troy, here's what I told our staff. We're going to have to do church as well as we did it in 2019. We're going to have to be as good online as we were in 2020, mm-hmm. and no one's getting a raise. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. All right, there's no way you say this, no way to make everyone happy. That's the world we're in as pastors today. What do you mean by that? Don't we want to make everybody happy as pastors? Fred, no way to make everybody happy. What do you think about that? Uh, I think with the way we were polarized today, 50% each direction, and go in the middle, you get you lose both of them. It's possible a pastor could be sitting on an island by themselves with both groups against them and totally different sides of the ball. Absolutely. You could be the referee, and nobody likes the guy in stripes. No. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> no. right. No. But I think there's something freeing about it. And, and, again, what I always want to try to do is, is how can we take a negative and try to leverage it into a positive? And a lot of times it's just thinking about it differently. So if anything I do is going to go over poorly with some people, I feel particularly free just to do what, what I think God's leading me to do or to do what I think's right. If you're trying to play politics now, it's a loser's game. <laughs> if you're trying to be popular now, yeah. it's a loser's game. How does that free us as leaders to truly, truly follow God? I think there is some upside to that, but there are no wins out there. If you are a pastor or a church leader and you have high needs to be liked, Man, should you have lived in 1993. Wrong job description. Don't be in this job. It's not happening now. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. Same thing for Christians in general today. Churches are getting more homogenous. Are we getting more like each other? That's scary. It's not a good thing in in a lot of ways, but I I think it's a recent thing since probably 2016 and and as we've moved forward, and and it's, it's really fueled by social media. But before then, I think in a lot of churches, particularly large churches, people could say, you know what, we agree on the mission of the church, and we disagree on who we voted for. We may disagree on on social policy. We may disagree on governmental policy, but that's okay. We can disagree on things as long as we agree on Jesus. Now that has become very, very difficult. And a lot of people now think, I can't possibly go to church with somebody that posted that. I can't possibly go to church if I disagree on border policy with someone. (laughs) I can't possibly go to church with someone if they voted for a different candidate than I did. And what's really happening now is that people are viewing theology through a political lens. Mm, I totally agree. And because they're viewing through a political lens, we treat each other like political opponents, not Christian brothers and sisters. And so this idea is out there now that we're going to have to go to church who we are in union with. And what that means a lot of times is not theological, mm-hmm. it's political. That's right. And so it's increasingly difficult for churches full of Democrats to have Republicans. And it's 
and churches full of Democrat uh, Republicans, it's increasingly difficult to be a Democrat in those churches. It's a tactic of the enemy right now. It's another one of those things where the enemy sabotages us because we're going to do a show real soon here on intersectionality because we, there's this deal where the, the devil's just trying to divide us up into so many categories that we can't be united even on the basics yep. of things. And so faith should actually unite us, but we can't do that because even though our faith may be united, we're afraid to let somebody see what we what we think the color of our carpet's going to be. And so we can't get past the surface stuff to the real core things. And we're going to talk about that and define that. I think that's something we're going to have to learn how to just filter some of that stuff off. We're so divided. Well, Troy, you know, they used to talk about America itself being a melting pot. Well, for something to melt, there has to be enough heat out there to melt a thing. I think churches used to be melting pots. People who thought very differently could go to church together. But when the fire is not very hot, it just doesn't melt stuff very well. And a part of what I'm seeing in this divide in churches, and churches getting more homogeneous, is the fire just isn't hot enough. People's passion for Jesus. I thought for a long time Christian leaders weren't passionate about things. I was wrong. They're just not passionate about Jesus. That's right. They're really passionate about social policy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're really passionate about their politics. If we don't get embracing revival, if we don't get white hot with the Holy Spirit, I think these trends that have started that are destructive are going to get even worse. There's going to be no unity in the church if I have to think like you on politics to worship with you. Wow, that's so true. Well, like, let me hit these two more points, and then we'll come back in the next episode, and we'll get the recommendations. But uh, the next one you said was opportunities for evangelism are abundant. You see it as opportunity time. Oh, my goodness. Uh, people are hurting coming out of the pandemic. People are isolated. People are emotionally, mentally, and spiritually damaged. People are just messed up. Mm. And if you don't believe me, just look at our culture. Do you think people would be behaving like this on Facebook two or three years ago? I think no. people are radiating at high frequencies, and they're straight up on edge. I think that is an opportunity for the church to say, guys, we just want to suggest that there is hope and healing in Jesus Christ. Amen. What if our message to people was, you can find hope here. You can find a counter-cultural approach to life here. Church has something to offer you. Do you want peace of mind? You're probably going to need to not give as many people a piece of your mind. That's right. But you can find that here. I think church has the opportunity to define our own narrative. And that narrative has to be that Jesus and peace and hope can be found here. And conversely, Troy, Bible-believing churches. Right. If we don't define our own narrative, the detractors of traditional Christianity we'll will place it. their narrative on us, and it's not going to be what we want. And we've got to learn how to, we'll talk about this later, but we'll have to learn to do it with grace-filled accountability. That's going to be something I'm going to talk to you about in one of the future episodes. But right now, countercultural, the church is caught up in the culture right now and divided by the culture. We are going to have to stand out again and be a voice in the wind again. Well, we are a subculture. We are countercultural. And we're outside of the main culture. Our values are outside of the cultural norms. Mm -hmm. Watch TV for eight minutes, <laughs> and you tell me if our traditional Christian values are in the norm or not. It is just so absolutely clear. The upside of that is the sweet spot of Christianity has always been as a countercultural movement. Great. When we are the majority culture, Christianity gets corrupt and it gets lazy. 
That's when right. we are a countercultural movement, that is when we fly. I would love to be able to say to this culture, we've got a different way of living than what you're seeing on TV, and we think it's going to deliver a different batch of goods if you'll give Jesus a try. I think that's a good message, and that comes to your last one. That's the optimistic optimism that prevails, opportunity and a chance to be a voice. Well, we've got two choices right now as leaders. We can throw up our arms and say we don't have a chance, or we can lean into the reality that this is probably the most exciting mission field since the apostle Paul was walking around the Mediterranean and sailing boats in the first century. So for me, when it comes to that general optimism, we got two ways to look at this. Is Goliath in front of us? Absolutely. Is Goliath a enemy too big to defeat or is he a target too big to miss? If we look at him as a target too big to miss, all of a sudden we've got an incredible opportunity. I think if the church will lean in to who we are in Christ, offer an unapologetic message of hope and healing to the world, I think COVID and this whole pandemic could possibly save the American church. Well, I, be, I, I absolutely believe that with all my heart. I think that's I think that's going to be the defining difference in leaders and churches coming forward. I think this thing could actually save us. And I'm actually seeing this work, not just here, but I'm seeing it take the gospel to places we didn't even know. And I think there's going to be something fresh, but we're going to have to stand up for it. Hey, we're going to come back in part two. I hope you've enjoyed this. This has been really good. Uh, we're going to get back into the prescriptions. He's giving you some hope right now, but he's got five ideas here, five good remedies, he thinks, five things recommendations. We're going to come back in the second podcast in this series. We'll be looking at pastoring in 2020 and beyond in this series. And we're looking at right now, pastoring trends and changes within COVID. We're going to hit that in episode number two. And we're going to come back to those and get those. We're going to be looking at Lee Boley and we're clarifying the message and evangelize. But what we're going to do is we're going to come back in the second episode, finish that up. And then we're going to get into these core pastoral truths that are going to come out of this to lead by. So guys, thank you so much. We're going to be back in this in just a next episode. Check us out. We're out there on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I want you to go check out Shane's blog site. Look at this, rememberbooks.word press.com. Remember books.wordpress.com. He's got other blogs up there. This full blog is up there. You can go read it and read the details too. It's really good. And Shane's an author too. Check out Love God, Love People, and Don't Do Dumb Crap. We're going to talk about that one in the next one. I'm sure of that. So check that out. It's a great book. It gets down to the simplicity of it. And we are sure glad to have you. Check us out at onthedoc.org. You can email us at info at onthedoc.org. What, what might you email us? Well, what was the name of his book? You can email us and ask that. We'll send it to you. We'll get you a link to his, uh, we'll even get you a link out to his site. You'll also see that on our social media sites. You can go to YouTube to watch us, iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Facebook, Roku, Rumble, Sermonet. And if you go to our social media sites right now, Facebook, Twitter, Telegram, and Instagram, you can find links to his his WordPress site right now and get to his blog. Check all that out. Uh, Make sure when you go to those sites, hit subscribe and like and notify and and do all the things to help people find us and encourage us along. Go to our Patreon site and be a supporter of On The Dock. Be a partner there. You can find that site by going to Patreon and look up On The Dock uh, with Pastor Troy, or you can go to our website at um, www.onthedock.org and you can 
click the link there. You can also go on there and find the Crown Brew logo. Click on the Crown Brew logo on our onthedoc.org site. Find out what kind of promotion it'll get you, maybe something special. And if you don't have a church home, come check us out at Community Faith Church. We meet at 10 o'clock on Sunday, 6.30 on Wednesdays in the Marion, uh, Southern Illinois area. We'd love to have you. We also have a presence online, virtual campus at coftv.com. And we want to invite you also, if you're up in the Fairview Heights region, Shane, would you have them come to Christ Church? I would recommend it. You've got, what is it? We've got one church, multiple campuses, four campuses. So you're in the Collinsville, Maryville area, Scott campus, and Milstadt area, and the home church there at Fairview Heights campus. Come on out. Check their churches out, mychristchurch.com. Go check them out if you're up in that region. They would love to have you. Thank you for coming out for On The Dot. Guys, Shane, Fred, thank you so much. We'll be back in the next episode. It's going to be great. We'll see you again soon at On The Dot. Pastor.